ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ಧನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ದ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ಇನ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಸಿಕ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಅ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆನ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ವಿ ಹಾವ್ ಸೀನ್ ದಟ್ ಶ್ರೀ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟೆಡ್ ಗಿವಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ಸ್ಟ್ರಕ್ಷನ್ಸ್ ಆನ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಇನ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಫೋರ್ಟೀನ್ ವಿಚ್ ವಿ ಸಾ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಟೈಮ್ ಪ್ರಶಾಂತಾತ್ಮ ವಿಗತ ಭೀರ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಚಾರಿ ಪ್ರತಿಷ್ಠಿತ ಮನ ಸಂಯಮ್ಯ ಮತ್ ಚಿತ್ತೋ ಯುಕ್ತ ಆಸೀತ ಮತ್ಪರ ಅ ವೆರಿ ಕಾಂಪ್ರಿಹೆನ್ಸಿವ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಟಾಕ್ಸ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಅ ಪ್ಯಾಸಿಫೈಡ್ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಅ ಕಾಮ್ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಫ್ರೀ ಆಫ್ ಪಿಯರ್ ಸೆಟಲ್ಡ್ ಇನ್ ದ ವಾವ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಚಾರ್ಯ ಕಂಟ್ರೋಲಿಂಗ್ ದ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಫೋಕಸಿಂಗ್ ಇಟ್ ಆನ್ ಆನ್ ದಿ ಆತ್ಮನ್ ಆರ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಇನ್ ಅ ಡ್ಯೂಯಲಿಸ್ಟಿಕ್ ಮೋಡ್ ಆನ್ ದಿ ಇಷ್ಟ ದೇವತ ಟೂ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಮತ್ ಚಿತ್ತ ಮತ್ಪರ ಮತ್ ಚಿತ್ತ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ದ ಸ್ಟ್ರೀಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಥಾಟ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಕಂಟಿನ್ಯೂಸ್ಲಿ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಶುಡ್ ಬಿ ಕಾನ್ಶಿಯಸ್ಲಿ ವಿತ್ ಎಫರ್ಟ್ ಫೋಕಸ್ಡ್ ಆನ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಟಿಂಗ್ ಆನ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಆರ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಡೂಯಿಂಗ್ ವೇದಾಂತಿಕ್ ನಿಧಿಧ್ಯಾಸನ ಇಟ್ ಶುಡ್ ಬಿ ಫೋಕಸ್ಡ್ ಆನ್ ದಿ ಆತ್ಮನ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ವಿದ್ ಇನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಮತ್ಪರ ಕನ್ಸಿಡರಿಂಗ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಆರ್ ದಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ವಿದ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಅಲ್ಟಿಮೇಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ವಿದ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ಬಿ ದಿ ಹೈಯೆಸ್ಟ್ ನಾಟ್ ಒನ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ದಟ್ ವಿ ಡೂ ಇನ್ ಲೈಫ್ ನಾಟ್ ಒನ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಟು ಬಿ ಅಕಾಂಪ್ಲಿಷ್ಡ್ ಇನ್ ಲೈಫ್ ಬಟ್ ದಿ ಫೈನಲ್ ಗೋಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಲೈಫ್ ದಿ ಪರ್ಪಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಲೈಫ್ ದ ಡೀಪೆಸ್ಟ್ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಪ್ರಫೌಂಡ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ ವಿ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಇನ್ ಲೈಫ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ದ ಥಿಂಗ್ ವಿಚ್ ಟೇಕ್ಸ್ ಅಸ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ಸಾರೋ ವಿಚ್ ಫುಲ್ಫಿಲ್ಸ್ ಅಸ್ ಕಂಪ್ಲೀಟ್ಲಿ ಸೊ ಮತ್ಪರ ಕನ್ಸಿಡರಿಂಗ್ ಮೀ ಆರ್ ದಟ್ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ವಿದ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ಬಿ ದಿ ಹೈಯೆಸ್ಟ್ ಸೊ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ದೀಸ್ ಆರ್ ಸಮ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಇನ್ಸ್ಟ್ರಕ್ಷನ್ಸ್ ಆನ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಅಗೇನ್ ಸಮ್ ಮೋರ್ ವಿಲ್ ಬಿ ಗಿವನ್ ಆಫ್ಟರ್ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಬಟ್ ನಾವು ಕಮ್ಸ್ ಅ ವರ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ವೆರಿ ನೈಸ್ ವಿಲ್ ಟೇಕ್ ಅ ಲುಕ್ ಅಟ್ ದಟ್ ಫಿಫ್ಟೀನ್ತ್ ಯುಂಜನೇವಂ ಸದಾತ್ಮನಂ ಯೋಗಿ ನಿಯತಮಾನಸ ಶಾಂತಿ ನಿರ್ವಾಣ ಪರಮಂ ಮತ್ಸಂಸ್ಥಾಮಿಗತಿ ದಸ್ ಕಾನ್ಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ಲಿ ಕಾನ್ಸಂಟ್ರೇಟಿಂಗ್ ದ ಮೈಂಡ್ ದ ಯೋಗಿ ವಿತ್ ಇಸ್ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಕಂಟ್ರೋಲ್ಡ್ ಅಟೈನ್ಸ್ ಪೀಸ್ ಕಲ್ಮಿನೇಟಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ ಫೈನಲ್ ಬಿಟ್ಯೂಡ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಫಾರ್ಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಅಬೈಡಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ ಮೀ so this verse we'll take a look at it first what does it mean and then carry out a deeper analysis is really thinking about this now there are very um, profound you know subtle indications about the nature of spiritual life here we'll take a look at that but first what does it mean at a first glance yunjan evam concentrating in this way yunjan the same meaning as yoga concentrating being engaged being centered in uh, practicing how in this way evam which indicate that is always a method to it there is a system to it no it's not haphazard spiritual life is not do it yourself because i think diy no do it yourself so not like that all great masters have said that yes enlightenment is possible god realization is possible transcending suffering is possible attainment of lasting peace um um of of ha- lasting happiness is possible but there is a way of doing it there is a method uh, it can't be done 
just by being stubborn about it or just by inventing your own way. I don't want to listen to anybody. I'll do it my way. No, it has to be done in a particular method. And there are different ways which masters who have attained, they have shown us the path, what is to be practiced. Here, all the verses which preceded, evam means in this way. In which way? So all the verses earlier, rahasi um, sthitahab, going to a solitary place, ekaki, by oneself, not in company. Um, then, uh, giving up desire in externally and internally, not accumulating possessions, not, not being too much engaged in the external world, giving up those uh, desires from within the mind also. And then finding out, finding out a suitable pure spot for meditation, suitable for meditation, um, establish your seat there. And he has gone even into details of what the meditation asana, the seat should be like. And then sit down there calmly with a peaceful mind. How you should sit also. He has told us the posture of the body, where to keep the mind, uh, to the, keep the eyes, the, the, the glands, um, and then to meditate. So all of these methods have been mentioned and some more instructions he will give, give after this. Evam. So the, just the word evam means all of these instructions, the way I have shown you. Meditate, meditate in this way. Yunjan, practicing, uh, being engaged in. How long? Till when? Sada, continuously, without interruption. For a time being, you know, sometimes we see that Swami Brahmananda, Swami Shivananda, they would give instructions after giving mantra, uh, initiation into the mantra. In Bengali, they would say, Kishudin Chepe Koro, hold on to this for a few days intensively. So this is sada. Sadatmana means sada continuously without interruption. Not that when the mood takes me, when I feel very indrawn and sublime, then I will meditate. At other times I won't because it makes uh, you know it's mechanical, it's not deep. Don't do that. That's a trick of the mind. I've seen people who are otherwise very, very good, sensitive, interested in spirituality, but this lack of discipline ruined them. So the mind is a creature of habit. It must be given the habit of settling down quietly, especially in these days when there is so much distraction all around. There must be a time and place for the mind to settle down. Here he's talking about the hermit, practically a monk who is a solitary meditator who gives hours and hours of, of his day uh, to meditation alone and cuts off everything else. So imagine the life of such a person for not just for one or two hours in a day, several hours in a day, for months and years and decades together, this kind of um, practice. Totapuri, who was the guru of Sri Ramakrishna, he said it took me 30 years, more than 30 years to attain Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Of course, Sri Ramakrishna did it in three days. That's a different matter altogether. But see the kind of uh, one-pointed effort that a meditator has to put. It's a very delicate task. Sadatmanam, concentrating on the self. If you're doing Vedantic meditation, concentrating on the self. Not the body, not the mind, the witness consciousness. Yogi, the meditator. Niyatamanasa, with controlled mind. With controlled mind, you can understand at two levels. One is the mind is controlled, means it has already been purified by a course of um, karma yoga. 
so the selfishness the the uh, the irregularities of the mind in bengali the monks we you know the senior monks would tell us ankot bankot the little crooked edges that we have they get polished off by karma yoga uh, over the years so the mind is becomes an amenable instrument it's like a knife but if you don't have a safe handle to hold the knife it will cut you first before you can use it to cut anything else so the mind is like that to get a safe handle on the mind it must be purified through karma yoga but niyata manasa the deeper meaning here in the, this because we are going to talk about meditation so the deeper meaning in the context of meditation is niyata means controlled the word the technical word here would be sangyama sangyama is a yogic word and it has three components dharana dhyana samadhi and this is the deeper meaning of a controlled mind sangyama dharana dhyana samadhi three um, components dharana means focus continued focus results in meditation which is dhyana and continued meditation results in samadhi uh, which is the uh, again two types sampragnyata and asampragnyata which corresponds to savikalpa nirvikalpa samadhi now the, the inner secret to you know understand these three components focus meditation and samadhi is this dharana is fixing the mind in space dhyana meditation the second step is second component fixing the mind in time and samadhi is fixing the mind in object fixing the mind in space means what that suppose a guru has told me to meditate on um, on the deity on shiva and a description of shiva has been given to me a mantra of shiva has been given to me om namah shivaya suppose now fixing the mind in space means i will i will not let my mind go out of this you know the the heart center where i'm meditating suppose i'm meditating in the heart center so the mind will not move out of this or if that is too difficult suppose i'm meditating on an image or a photograph of shiva or an icon of shiva so the mind and for that reason if i i've got my eyes open my eyes will not move out of that frame you see how to what physical level also we are tying it down we are taking the help of we are sitting quietly absolutely still in a calm environment i've got time ahead of me for meditating now i tell my mind first my eyes they will, i will not take it up the icon that or the picture or the image and then the mind mind naturally follows the eyes also and i will be alert to see that the mind doesn't go elsewhere physically elsewhere that means it does not think go elsewhere means it does not think of things people events which are in other places this place only here meditation room this asana here is the mind in this frame or here or deeper in the heart center suppose i'm meditating here the mind will not go anywhere else holding the mind there is called dharana literally dharana means to hold when you do that for some time the mind becomes focused then make a subtle change see these differences holding the mind in space holding the mind in time holding the mind in object these are just matters of emphasis when you are holding the mind on a particular object the mind is already held in time and already held in space so these are matters of emphasis once dharana you are making um, you are focusing after some time uh, it becomes dhyana here the uh, the emphasis is on 
fixing the, the mind in time. If you look at the definitions of dharana and dhyana, you will see the emphasis, underlying subtle emphasis, locking the mind in space, locking the mind in time. Locking the mind in time means the, the definition of dhyana will be a continual series of thoughts about the same thing. Now, this continuation of the series about the same thing in respect of time, from now on for the next 20 minutes or for the next 30 minutes, not only will my mind be here, but for the next 30 minutes, it will be here and it will think about the deity, say Shiva, and it will repeat Om Namah Shivaya. That's it. Now I've locked it further. 30 minutes. Before that, whatever happened, gone, forgotten. After that, what will happen? No concern of mine. These 30 minutes. See, from Advaitic perspective, the Lord is everywhere. The Lord is all the time. And the Lord is in all objects. The divinity, that, that existence consciousness places in every object at every time and, and every, every place. But the point is, if I want to keep my mind on that, then immediately I run into the problem that um, if I honestly look at my day, I, the Lord may be, the Brahman may be in every place. I don't actually find Brahman in any place. Brahman may be all the time, but I don't really think about Brahman at any time particularly. Brahman, all, no object is different from Brahman, but I deal with all people and objects and things throughout the day and not once am I reminded of Brahman. So that's our problem. In order to solve that, uh, yoga says, all right, one place. If you can't uh, see God in all places, one place here, in the center of your heart. One time. 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening. This much. And in one thing, that is the visualized deity in, this, uh, in your heart. See that. So the time, when you make lock it in time, that is dhyana. And of course, you have to accomplish that properly, then it becomes dhyana. Further, deeper, that dhyana uh, settles into samadhi. Samadhi is just the deepening of meditation. In English, if I want to put the words, dharana is focus, um, dhyana is meditation, samadhi is the deepest meditation or the absorption. It will be like a trance-like state. So an absorption. Absorption into what? Into the object. So the object remains vividly because all the rays of the mind, as it were, are focused on the object. So the object shines. I'm saying object, it's just uh, the visualized deity the form of Shiva, it could be Shiva, it could be Durga, it could be Sri Ramakrishna, whatever is the way you have been taught. And the mantra is repeated. So the luminous form of the deity, peaceful, radiant, in the center of your heart for the next 30 minutes or whatever, and with the sounding of the mantra continuously rolling in your mind. When that absorption comes, the space and the time are in the background. Now the deity is all in all. The object is all in all. That is samadhi. Moment to moment to moment, the mind does not go elsewhere. So another uh, way of distinguishing, the usual way of distinguishing dharana, dhyana, samadhi is the depth of concentration. When you are making an effort at concentration and the mind gets distracted here and there, then and you bring it back consciously, that is the first stage, dharana, focus. When you don't have to make so much of an effort anymore and the mind continuously flows, for a while at least, that is dhyana. Notice, for a while. And then, after a while, the mind 
does not flicker at all. The only thing that there is the object of meditation. And you lose all sense of the world outside, of the body, of even yourself. But there is a distinction, there's a faint distinction of you meditating on the deity. That much is there. You are at least faintly aware of your own existence. After some time, both disappear. The deity and your own existence into a radiance, into a being that is called Nirvikalpa Samadhi. The object also disappears, not into sleep, into just an unspeakable presence. So that you move from Savikalpa Samadhi to Nirvikalpa or Sampragyata Samadhi to Asampragyata Samadhi. So this is the meaning of the word, the deeper meaning of the word Niyatamanasi. What will happen if you do? This is I'm talking about in, in, the, in the way of meditation that we practice in our tradition, the deity meditation, Ishta Devata and the Ishta Mantra. I am reminded today, I must share this story with you. Since he's gone, uh, Swami Shivamayanandaji, who was the vice president of our order, uh, sadly, he passed away a few hours ago. He was uh, suffering from COVID and he was in the hospital in uh, Calcutta. He was 86 years old. A wonderful, wonderful old Swami. And I had the fortune of working under him for a short period of time and knowing him for several years because I was in Belurmat and he was also in Belurmat. So I have like many sweet and nice uh, stories to share about him but one is particularly relevant here I'll tell you it's very inspiring. So he was the head of our ashram in Sharada Peet when I was a brahmachari, a, a novice there. Um, so this was in 2002 or three, about uh, 18 years, 19 years ago. And uh, he was recalled by our headquarters, which is just across the street from Saradapit, to go to the headquarters and become one of the uh, assistant secretaries of the whole Ramakrishna order. So he had to leave the ashram and go. And a new Swami came to take charge. And so there was this ceremony of handing over the ashram where I was uh, to the new Swami. Swami Shivamayanji is leaving and another new Swami is coming in. So all the monks were invited. It's a big ashram, Sharada Beach. So we, with many, many uh, institutions under it, colleges, schools, and so on. So there were many Swamis present, dozens, and novices like us. And there, the Swami told us um, this story, this, this incident. He was telling us, especially young novices, that... Uh, uh, you know, why people respect monks? So, what is the standard you have to hold yourself up to? So he told us this story. Many, many years ago, when Swami Gambhiranandaji was the general secretary of the order, this was in the early 80s, I think, uh, or late 70s, and Swami Shivamayanji was considerably younger, somebody said to Swami Shivamayanji that, you know, Gambhiranandaji was known as Gambhir Maharaj. Gambhiranandaji um, confirmed that he has actually seen God. So you must know that in the monastic community, this would be uh, a hot news. <laughs> Immediately it spreads. And this was a little unlike Swami Gambhiranandaji, who was very reticent, very reserved, um, a very serious person. In fact, Gambhira means serious. 
so whose delight is in seriousness <laughs> so swami shivananji shivamanji told us that i didn't quite believe that so i thought i would go and um, directly ask swami gambhirand so he said i went up to the swami and i said swami is this true have you seen god have you had the vision of god have you realized god and swami gambhirand of course as was his nature um would not say outright and said what kind of talk is this let me go and swami shivamanji could could be quite obstinate so he blocked he literally blocked the swami's path swami gambhirand's path and said no you have to tell me either way otherwise i'm not letting you go today so swami gambhirand felt a little harassed maybe but he said in bengali he said ek hi sab what what's all this and then being forced again and again nagging swami gambhirand finally said that uh, what do you understand by god realization whenever i close my eyes the living form of my ishta devata blazes forth you know effortlessly the living form of the deity which i meditate upon what i was just talking about he says not even an effort any time i close my eyes the presence the living form of the chosen deity is vivid and it's a living form it's not an um, not imagined not just visualized that blazes forth of course he didn't explain all this he just said in bengali bhagwan lab bolte tumi ki bojho what do you what exactly do you mean by god realization and then he explained he said uh, in bengali ami jokhoni chok chok bujhi ishto murti jol jol kore bheshe uthe bengali it just simply means it it's like a flaming form or a blazing form of the um uh, ishta devata bla- uh, appears in my heart next he said but is this all one has to realize brahman in all beings in bengali he said tobe ei ki sob sarvabhute brahma darshan korte hobe na so imagine so that was swami gambhiranji long time before he actually became the vice president and the president anyway swami shivamanji told us these this incident and then he looked at us the young monks present there and he said look this is what people expect when they bow down to you and touch your feet and call you know like they show you so much respect this is what they want in a monk to see in a monk so never forget that so i it was it's really ingrained in my memory that incident i can still see him looking at straight at us and telling us a wonderful monk swami shivamanji have so many wonderful uh, incidents to share about humorous straightforward very simple um so uh, one little incident shows the heart of the man he was it must have been in his 60s at that time there was a big convention in belurmat and thousands of people were coming from all over the country and we had made arrangements in uh, different hostels uh, places for the for the delegates to stay you know men and women and young people they were coming from all parts of india and uh, as as it happened some of the trains were late so some one group of devotees i don't know where they were coming from from a distant part of india and the train was late so the idea was that we you uh, receive them show them to their quarters where you have made arrangements the dorms um, arrange for food it was so late and all the monks and the other volunteers we were all tired and uh, everybody finally gave up and went to sleep because these this group was just not coming the bus carrying these maybe 40 50 people but 
I stayed awake. I was a young man at that time. So I stayed awake and another of my friends, we are both novices, very young novices. I can, I can still remember, I can still visualize very clearly in Belurmat in front of that, that the GT road is there where the bus will turn. Everybody's gone to bed. Must be past midnight. Everybody's tired. There's one old monk, Swami Shivamayanji. He's standing in the middle of the road, far away from the monastery, quite the distance in the darkness, standing there. And that touched me so much that his feeling that these people are tired, they're coming from a long time, to build, from a long distance by train, they must be hungry, and that he felt it his responsibility to stand there alone in the middle of the road to receive them and to take them and to feed them and to make sure that they were, you know, that they got their bed. So obviously it inspired us young people. So we also stayed awake and we waited until finally the bus came. Must have been 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. And, and we took them. And we, we sort of forced the Swami that you please go and rest. You have a long day ahead of you. We'll take care of it. But that just shows the quality of the man. And he was especially very kind and affectionate to young swamis, young novices. He would inspire us. And, uh, uh, and the eccentrics. In a monastic organization, you'll always expect some, you know, insane uh, Bengali or in Hindi, Pagal, <laughs> some of the uh, crazier types who would be, uh, you know, like people would not pay attention or sort of ignore them or even disparage them. But he was a resort for them, you know, like a place of refuge for them. So he would have this nice collection of both uh, monks and non-monastic. And they would hang around him. We would sometimes joke, you know, Shiva, um, Shiva man and this. So Shiva, Shiva is surrounded by ghosts and demons. So he had his own entourage uh, of such people. Yeah. Um, so that is the visualization. Niyata manasa sangyama means uh, dharana dhyana samadhi. Then what happens? Meditating in this way. Shantim nirvana paramam One attains to the highest peace, the final peace. What is the nature of that peace? Nirvana paramam. Nirvana in Vedanta and in Buddhism it is used to mean the extinction of samsara, the complete extinction of samsara, which comes of being established in Brahman. Matsamstham adhigachati. Now, this is only the surface meaning of the verse. <laughs> the deeper meaning is, it goes far, far deeper than this. So, we'll take a look. What, what could it mean? Yunjan nevang, yunjan. Let's start there. Yunjan means to concentrate. It comes from the same meaning as yoga, the yuj. And the meaning is twofold. The grammatical meaning. Now we are going deeper. This might not be the general meaning. It's a deeper meaning. Yunjan, the grammatical meaning is twofold. In spiritual life, two, two ways we can understand this. One is connection, joining. Jivatma and Paramatma. The sentient being, the individual with the Supreme Self, with Brahman. Joining. Joining the human with the divine. That's one meaning of yoga. The other meaning of yoga, yuj, yuj samadho. Yujir yoga, yoga means to join. And the second meaning is samadhu. Samadhu means meditation. So that is the sense in which yoga is being used in this chapter and meditation. Now think about it. 
both meanings are impossible. When it comes to Advaita Vedanta, both meanings are impossible. One meaning is to meditate upon Brahman, upon your inner self. You, the witness consciousness. I'm not the body, not the mind. I'm the witness of everything that happens in the body and mind, illumines the body, mind, and the world. Not an object, the pure subject. That which cannot be grasped by thought or by senses and so on. What does it mean to meditate on that? See, when I say you meditate on Shiva, you, I, the form of Shiva is given, a mantra of Shiva is given, something that the mind can do. Even the eyes can see the form of Shiva. The tongue can repeat the mantra of Shiva. And if you shut down the external world, mentally you can do the same exercise. It's still an object, either an external object or a mental object or an idea. So the mind can do it. That's an exercise that the mind can do. But when it comes to the Atmanam, he says Atmanam, the self, the witness self, Brahman itself, meditate on that. How can you meditate on that? It's not an object to be meditated upon. The Brihadaranyaka Upanishad Vakya, the sentence in the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, which goes, Atma vare drashtabhya, shrotabhya, mantabhya, nididhyasitabhya. So, the instruction is giving, Yagya Valkya, He's saying, my dear, the Atman should be seen. Hear about it, reason about it, meditate about it. Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. That, that's the sentence from which the entire methodology, the practice of Vedanta. After all, what is Vedanta practice? This uh, hearing and studying Vedanta, reasoning about it, and then meditating upon it. Where did it come from? It comes from Brihadaranya Kupanishad, this sentence. But it starts with an interesting, um, like an injunction, like a, like a command. Atma vare drashtabhya. My dear, the self is to be seen. Let alone seen. You can't see it. It's, it's not, it doesn't have a form. You can't hear it. If at least the mantra you can hear. Mentally even you can hear the mantra. It, it can, you can't hear it. It's not a sound. You can't smell it, taste it, touch it. You can't even think about it. You can't speak about it. You cannot think about it. The Atman consciousness is that which illumines all thinking. Because of that, you the consciousness, you are aware of the thoughts. None of the thoughts are aware of you. Thoughts cannot be, the eyes cannot see you. You see through the eyes. This, the mind cannot objectify you. The mind cannot think about you. If the mind cannot think about you, how will you meditate? What does it mean to meditate on that, on the Atman? It's an impossible uh, command. What does it mean? So here I'll narrate you an anecdote which I read, which is very beautiful. Um, so this has been narrated by one great teacher of Advaita Vedanta, Swami Akhandananda Saraswati, who taught and wrote mostly in, uh, almost always in Hindi and Sanskrit. And uh, in the mid-20th century, he narrates how he with some other monks, he traveled to the south and to have darshan of the Sringeri um, Shankaracharya at that time, who was a very revered Shankaracharya, one of the greatest in modern times. So he narrates this. I'll give, tell you the whole uh, anecdote. It's very nice. He says, we went to, the, to have the darshan, the uh, audience with the Shankaracharya. And now the first thing which struck me was, here is the Shankaracharya of Sringeri. It's like one of the um, traditional leaders of of Vedantic Hinduism 
and has been so for more than 1200 1300 years since adi shankaracharya in this unbroken lineage and it's one of the grandest centers of uh, hinduism for the more than 1000 years now shringeri and the shankaracharya this extraordinary person and among the shankaracharyas he was especially revered he was sitting on a little cot quite alone and bereft of any you know gorgeous apparel or attendants it was just this um, thin old swami monk wearing only a short cloth around his waist and otherwise bare bodied and sitting quietly very humble very quiet so the swami who narrates this he says we went down we bowed we went to meet him we bowed down to him we sat at his uh, at the we sat on the floor which was a uh, dirt floor like a dust floor so we sat on the <laughs> on the bare earth there and this uh, and the shankaracharya was sitting on the cot and the shankaracharya himself said i think they must have conversed i don't know if the shankaracharya knew hindi but they might have conversed in sanskrit he said since you have come to see me let's talk about vedanta i'll tell you something about vedanta something nice about vedanta he said atma vare drashtavya the atman is to be seen meditated you know studied about reasoned about meditated about but how can you see the atman the whole of vedanta is to cul- cul- uh, culminate at the point of brahmakara vritti the uh, intuitive non dual realization i am brahman so vritti means the thought the thought form the movement of the mind brahmakara means of the form of brahman and that's supposed to be the result of all your vedantic study at that moment you realize your brahman but he says consider for a moment it is impossible first of all brahma does not have any akara any form so what does it mean vritti about the form of brahman it can't be it's not a ghata like a pot or a cup it has a form even a thought has a form an idea has a form which distinguishes it from everything else what form does brahman have nothing so that and it cannot be an object of um, uh, of perception of thought of language so how what is meant by this brahmakara vritti now you can see it's it's a, a extremely important question because it's there at the it's try it goes to the very root it goes to the very heart of advaita vedanta you can imagine how closely the swamis were listening and what a beautiful solution he gave he says the shankaracharya said to them when you say with a sword um, strike a, a tree strike um, you know strike somebody's head or strike um, a piece of cloth what do you mean is use the sword to cut the cloth or you know like finish of somebody or cut down the tree this is what you mean when you say strike it strike that object with your sword but if you say strike a rock a solid rock or an iron pillar with your sword what you mean is the sword will be shattered there sword cannot the sword cannot cut similarly when uh, the vritti is used to to the thought of your mind is focused on brahman and remember first let me tell you what he said and i'll explain little when he is focused on brahman the vritti is gone 
it's not that the vritti will capture brahman vritti is gone you transcend the vritti you become, you realize yourself that the vritti is you are the you are the witness of the vritti you are it's not something that the vritti catches and that is his explanation now you see we have those of us who have studied vedanta sara recently the vritti vyapti and phalavyapti what a beautiful explanation of this vritti vyapti and phalavyapti what the mind can do and what it cannot do and ultimately what happens at the point of illumination using all our vedantic study all our understanding refining our understanding to the point where we begin to get it intellectually we begin to get what we are talking about not the body certainly not even the mind not any thought not even all vedantic thoughts but the illumination the consciousness which shines in all these thoughts as the reflected consciousness pointing back to the actual consciousness which i am now using the thought there is no language which will work like that and will work at this point using the thought pointing back towards that you realize i am that but that i am thatness is revealed by that consciousness only not by the vritti at that point you realize i always was this unlimited consciousness all the vrittis of the mind play about in this ocean of light which i am i reveal them they do not reveal me at that moment the sword of the vritti is shattered now that sword the shattering of the sword of the vritti can be understood in two ways the first way is the mind will become without vritti at that time once this understanding has come once this clarity comes once this separation of the mind from consciousness not physical separation always it has been separate this the understanding comes that oh mind and consciousness are not the same thing i am the awareness in which the mind was always playing and was being illumined once this separation comes now at that point the mind may cease may uh, just shut down that would be nirvikalpa samadhi that is the connection of nirvikalpa samadhi with advaita vedanta it may happen like that but even deeper meaning of the shattering of the sword of priti is you realize the falsity of the mind the mithyatva nischaya that it's an appearance it's a wave in the ocean of consciousness which i am ashtavakra says mai ananta mahambodho vishva vichi swabhavata in me the infinite ocean of consciousness the waves of the world world body senses mind thoughts the waves arise udetu vastamaya tu name vriddhi navakshati i have neither increased nor diminished by any of that so it need not be nirvikalpa samadhi also the mind may continuously may still keep on working but you realize you are not that at all and you are very clear about what you are forever then you are set free from the workings of the mind so this is the smashing of the sword of um vrittis so this is one meaning how yunjan seeing brahman what does it mean in only in this way awareness reveals itself consciousness of brahman shines forth that's the only seeing of brahman this is what we studied in vritti vyapti and phalavyapti vritti vyapti is necessary to bring you to this point phalavyapti is not necessary illumination of the object of the vritti by the consciousness in the vritti which is the definition of phalavyapti not necessary for brahman because brahman is the source of all light 
Brahman is like the sun and the reflected consciousness is like a little ray of light or like a little reflected sun in the water of the mind. And I am that sun. That becomes very clear. And that clarity also is in the mind, definitely. But um, you are that. This is one meaning. So one meaning of what? What are we discussing? The yoga, the two meanings of yoga. The two meanings, one is meditation. and the, uh, So we are just discussing how is it possible to meditate on Brahman. So this is a very subtle uh, pointing towards what Brahman is. If one can even understand the, what, what the, that Shankaracharya was telling these swamis, one comes to the very, I would say, the very brink of enlightenment. It can't be made more clear. What gems they throw out, you know, just in casual conversation. This is a sign of a Jeevan Mukta. They can, the truth is so blazingly obvious to them, you can continuously keep pointing it out to you in as many ways as you want and as many times as you want. Then the second meaning of yoga. What is the second meaning? First meaning was meditation and apparently impossible, but only in this way it is possible. This is the meaning of meditation on Brahman, Brahmakara Vritti. Now, the second meaning of yoga, the joining, the joining is even more impossible. The Atman, you are the Atman. What will join to what? When you say joining the human to the divine sounds very good. But in Advaita Vedanta, it makes no sense. What will I join? To join Sarva Priyananda, what do I have to do? What do I have to join to what? Nothing. What will join what? And it becomes even more ridiculous when you consider the possibility. Joining means the possibility of separation is there. You can separate. What does it mean to separate the self from the self? Meaningless. How can I separate myself from myself? Meaningless. So what is this joining? In Sanskrit, it becomes even more clear. Joining means sanyoga. Sanyoga is connection, contact. Any contact means that two things are different. The only way, only place where these two things cannot be different is when we're talking about you, the self, the one thing. You are, you are not, uh, you know, even in multiple personality disorders, one is one person at a time, not all persons at a time. So you are only one unit. What will contact what? What will be um, disconnected from what? Saying yoga and yoga, how is it possible in, in the self? So the second meaning of yoga is even more impossible. So what does it mean when you say yunjan evam? It means here is another very powerful, even more powerful pointed towards our real nature. What it means is that the only way we can be separated from ourselves, our real self, Brahman, pure consciousness within, is if we don't know it. Is if somehow, you cannot say we don't know ourselves. We know ourselves. We are aware of ourselves. There is nothing else we are aware of. We are aware of ourselves. This was the final conclusion of Descartes in his great project of doubting whatever can be doubted. Finally, he said, I cannot doubt the self because I think, therefore I am. Now, this self which cannot be doubted, it can still be hidden by ignorance, by not knowing its real nature. I know myself, but do I truly know myself? I know myself, but if I ask myself, what do I know myself as? Please let me have to, if I know myself, I should be able to say something about myself and what we will end up saying about myself. I am this person. Let me point you out. 
here here i am it's not clear to you then here this this one is me it has a certain history uh, certain biodata as far as i remember uh, birth childhood parents uh, education uh, places i have lived people i have met all these things uh, there is a physical history there is a personality and a, and a mind which has developed over time and uh, successes and failures desires all of this my knowledge my achievements and failures all of these together is i you wanted to know about me myself totally wrong or at the very least it is absolutely incidental absolutely at the surface level you missed out the real thing it's like um, and i'll give you two examples when you describe uh, ornaments and you describe the name the necklace or the ring and how you use them or what are the varieties of rings all of that you describe except one thing that it is all gold the, the what makes it all valuable and what gives it substance what is the reality about it is it's gold that's the one thing you don't know about it then you don't know something very important about those ornaments or even worse suppose you, um, there is a jurassic park movie and uh, you talk about dinosaurs and the adventures of the people who went to the jurassic park and the sufferings they went through and uh, and all of that in an amazing description you gave except one thing you don't say you don't know that it's a movie now that it's a movie is not one fact among many facts it is the most important fact about all of it so just like that when we talk about our life the most important thing we don't know about ourselves and that important thing has to be pointed out vedanta does just this it introduces us to ourselves we need to be introduced to ourselves the real i it's there all the time obvious the moment you make the breakthrough and realize you realize it was always there i just didn't see it the story of the uh, diamond which was used by the washerman to scrub stones and scrub clothes and so on he did not know the real value of it we have the diamond we are the diamond we don't see it at all so to, to be brought to see it for whatever reason we are in ignorance to be brought to see it to be introduced to ourselves this is the uh, meaning of yoga joining ourselves in advaita vedanta otherwise there is no other meaning, meaning of meeting ourselves joining ourselves being connected to ourselves being introduced to our real nature one i was listening to a lecture by a great uh, scholar of uh, ashastri goda venkatesh ashastri uh, he passed away two years ago i think he was one of the greatest living scholars of advaita vedanta so most of his talks are in, um, unfortunately in tamil i think so i don't understand but a series of talks he gave in english um teaching a section of the vedanta paribhasha so he starts his uh, class by saying vedanta is only about what you know if i say one thing which you do not know it's not vedanta what a strange thing <laughs> why would you tell me what i know it's just that only thing he was joking partially only from an enlightened person's perspective whatever you read in vedanta is just what i mean essential teachings of course whatever you read the core teachings of vedanta you'll always say yes of course it's known and in fact everybody knows it it's just that some people uh, don't r- recognize it and uh, enlightenment is just recognition of this self this is the connection with yourself yunjan connect uh, the two meanings of yoga to meditate upon uh, the self 
I explained the deeper meaning of how it is possible, not possible and possible, how it is possible. And joining, connecting, joining and connecting, how it makes no sense in the sense of, of for the Atman and how it does make sense in the, from the perspective of ignorance and knowledge. All right. Now, is saying that you have to be introduced to the self. Please introduce us. If it is already available, if it's so vivid, if it is so clear, then please introduce us. All right. Then uh, the next word, sadatmanam. So here is where I'll do something little un unorthodox. The word sadatmanam it should be technically correctly split as sada atmanam, continuously on the self. What do you do? Meditate. That's the original meaning and that's the correct meaning of the verse. And the commentators also, including Adi Shankara Acharya, have also taken it in that sense. In this way, in which way? In all the ways about meditation which has been taught in earlier verses. In this way, continuously, uninterruptedly, uh, make an effort, be engaged continuously in meditation upon the self. But what I'm going to do here is uh, unorthodox, but again supported by some at least one very great uh, commentator on Vedanta. Um, and grammatically correct also. Sadatmanam, I will uh, split it as Sat Atmanam. Sat Atma, Sad Atma. Instead of Sada, Sada means always. Sat means uh, existence. Atma means the self. What are we going to talk about? Introduce us. The demand is if it's so easily available, please introduce us. And in this sense, you interpret it, you'll see Krishna is doing exactly that. He's giving you a vivid, direct introduction to your real nature. Sat means existence. Existence of what? The real existence. How do you define real existence? We talk about ultimate reality, Brahman being the ultimate reality. Can you define reality? What do you mean by reality? This is the technical definition of reality. That which cannot be negated, cancelled, technical word is sublated. In all three periods of time, past, present and future. What do I mean by negated or sublated? See, things, first of all, in the simplest way, those which things which are impermanent. They come... We are born, they are produced, they exist for a while and then they decay and they are destroyed or they die. That holds true for living beings, definitely. We are all born, we age and we die. I mean, as far as the body is concerned. It it's also holds true for all physical entities. Uh, from, uh, uh, you know, like a dew drop in the morning sunshine, it bursts at the moment. And in Central Park, you will see uh, one of the performers, they make soap bubbles and children are delighted. But I think those soap bubbles are so uh, emblematic of or so representative of the Vedantic teaching. Multicolored bubbles and they're like a world in themselves, shiny and attractive and floating in the world, in the air, like multiple bubbles, you know, like worlds floating in the air. Within seconds, you know, they'll pop into nothingness. Our universes are like that. Even physical universes are like that. And our samsara is like that. Samsaras, I would say, plural samsaras. Our whole, the way we gather things around, this body and mind, people, 
husband, wife, children, father, mother, grandchildren, money, resources, uh, house, job, community, and now also so much virtual presence. Photograph after photograph, uh, hard disk full of snaps taken, you know, selfies taken over years and years, never to be seen by anybody at all. And um, Facebook, I was seeing that they have memorialization settings. You have to set, set it up. What will happen to your Facebook after you die? That is, Facebook has got some Vedantic thinking, I think. So you have to set it up. All of that, physical, emotional, relationship-wise, financial, um, creative, and virtual these days. All of it we have said. This samsara, bubble. So bubble, floating in uh, Central Park in the air, in the you know, summer air, to burst. Children, delighting children. And when it bursts, children get, you know, sometimes they get shocked. They feel sad. We are doing exactly the same thing. These are negation. Negation means what? Uh, impermanence. So the first level of negation is what we are all used to. And it's uh, something we don't pay attention to. That's why the Buddha had to bring our attention to it again and again. Um, anityam, anityam, sarvam anityam. Impermanent, impermanent, all is impermanent. Everything is transient. Um, momentary, momentary, all is momentary. Void, void, all is void. And therefore, suffering, suffering, all is suffering. Anityam, anityam, sarvam anityam. Kshanikam, kshanikam, sarvam kshanikam. Shunyam, shunyam, sarvam shunyam. Dukkham, dukkham, sarvam dukkham. The soap bubble will a good good example for this whole teaching of the Buddha. <laughs> so this is the first level of negation. Things die, disappear, go. And once they've gone, they're just fading memories. They're just the uh, weak, helpless attempts of memory to hold on to something that is that's gone. And things go so fast. That's the first level. There's a deeper level of negation where although we experienced it, we suddenly realized even while we experienced it, it did not exist. Even the soap bubble had at least a transient little bit of ex existence. But this thing never existed at all. Yet we experienced it. Like, like dreams. The contents of our dreams. Like the snakes seen in the rope. And so is samsara. Like a phantom in the darkness. In the, in the, you know, Buddha's, Buddha's example. Bubble in a fast flowing stream. Flash of lightning. Phantom in the darkness. So is the samsara uh, that men revel in. Buddha says, he can really rain on your parade. So this is the second level of um, negation. It didn't exist at all. It never was. Not that at certain time it was and let me now I'm preserving it in my memory. Uh, those good old days. There were no good old days. If you suddenly wake up and realize those good old days were like a dream. It is like a fairy tale. Like a movie. Movie is a good, good modern example. You saw it all. The story happened. There were people. There were tragedies. There were comedies. Uh, there were disasters. There was heroism. All of life in glorious multicolor and sound and presented before you. It never happened at all. That is the second level of negation. This is called badha, falsification. You see, impermanence and falsification are two different things. Impermanence was not there, but for a while it was, and then it was not there anymore. Falsification was not there, for a while you saw it, but it was not there. 
and finally you don't even see it and it just was not there so reality is that which cannot be falsified it is not impermanent it is permanent it's always was is and will be and it cannot be falsified in all three periods of time not falsified in the past cannot be falsified now cannot be falsified in any foreseeable future that is called reality now this is sat what is that reality is just an abstract concept no it is more real than anything else in this universe sat being isness where do you find it everywhere look around you so bubble is earth is the children chasing the so bubble the child is that isness when the soap bubble passes away the child grows up and goes old and dies and one day the earth too is swallowed up by the sun is is still there the names and forms and transactions keep changing but the sense of existence is still there everywhere shankaracharya he argues in the second uh, uh, chapter 16th verse na sato vidyate bhava na bhava vidyate sato that's where i'm taking all this from all of it is in detailed uh, uh, investigation to nature of existence he says the pot exists you smash the pot the earth exists the clay exists you powder it in the earth element exists suppose you smash it all another pot exists suppose all pots are destroyed and then the elephant exists <laughs> suppose all things are destroyed shankaracharya asks this everything is destroyed everything is destroyed when he says existence is still there but it is not manifest it's not experienceable without a name or a form you cannot experience it what you have done is you have smashed all possible names forms and um, you know uh, uses transactions that's what happens in uh, pralaya in the cosmic dissolution or in a smaller sense in our deep sleep our deep sleep experience is an experience of existence but without any particular form all particulars are sort of mushed together let us say into no distinction of people and trees and places and activities and time and space and subject and object everything smashed together into one singularity that's our deep sleep it still is isness the bare isness continues everywhere so this is Uh, this is this is the meaning of reality according to vedanta all right all around is reality what more he says sad atmanam this isness is you it's not really out there if you contemplate the isness just the sense of existence you sit quietly and look around things you will see forms out there shapes out there you will hear sounds and smells and tastes and ideas all are out there but the isness is actually not in them the isness is in you it is your isness that the every form and name and shape there everything borrows the world borrows from you and acts as if existing but the sat is nothing other than you you have to intuitively understand this this is a higher kind of reason if you follow your experience you will see the sense of being collapses inward into you your existence lends existence to your experience that's why he says sad atma where is this existence 
most authentically, most available to you all the time, effortlessly, you. Oh yeah, my existence, but also other things exist. No, all the existence, the, the pure existence, the being itself we are talking about is only you and nothing else but you. You are that being and that being is nothing other than you. Notice one more thing. The most um, evident thing about ourselves is uh, consciousness, awareness. Whenever we refer to ourselves, it's always as not only that I am, but I'm also aware. A dark existence is never our state. It is, I am, I am of the nature, I am of the nature of existence and awareness. So when you put Sat and Atma together, this existence is lit up, is a conscious existence or consciousness existence. Isness awareness. A term which I like very much is presence. Presence. Presence has the meaning of existence because it's not absence, it's presence. It is. But presence also has the meaning of awareness. I feel your presence in the room. I feel your virtual presence in here, in the computer. Presence is a sense of awareness. So awareness existence, isness awareness, sat chit. This emerges when you say sadatma. What is this sadatma? Always being experienced, always blazing forth like the sun. It's what you are. If you stop there and don't limit yourself by then further putting limitations of mind, memory, personality, body, uh, and then cutting yourself off from all other bodies and worlds, you know, and then becoming an individual. If you don't do that, if you are just the unlimited sadatma, being awareness, isness awareness, that unlimited presence, you've got it. Sadatma. If you know that, there will be a tendency of the mind to keep attacking you, capturing you back into the limitedness. To stop that from happening is the purpose of meditation, this meditation. That gives you then the that gives you the nirvana paramam. This sadatma, this infinite existence, infinite consciousness, this infinite presence. Itself is nirvana paramam, the highest nirvana, moksha. Shankaracharya says the end of this peace is moksha. The final, the ultimate nature of this peace is moksha. This is mat sangstham. This is the meaning of being centered in Brahman. That illimitable isness awareness. Yeah, that infinite presence, which you already are. So this is the uh, a deeper interpretation. I found it so wonderful. I thought I'd spend yeah the whole class on it. <laughs> yes, and slightly humorously and very practically, in the next verse, Krishna is going to come down to and tell you what to eat and not to eat, how much to sleep, how much to stay awake, what exercise you should do. All those things. He'll come back again. <laughs> Let's see. Um, how different is it if it, one is meditating? Prabir Bhav is asking, meditating on Aham Brahmasmi. Exactly. The second deeper interpretation which I gave now, this is the meaning of Aham Brahmasmi. 
What is Brahman? Sadatma. Brahman is just a word. Where do I find Brahman? Here. In your awareness. In your being. But in the unlimited being awareness. Not in the bodily being. Which will age and die. Not in the mental being. Where thoughts will come and go. In the effortless existence consciousness. So you have to be centered in it. If you want. You are already centered. Remember, you cannot be separated from yourself. That isness awareness, you cannot be separated from yourself. But it does not make any sense of to say you can be separated, you can join it. It's just that if one has the delusion of being separated from it, if one feels, I am not centered in myself, it's actually a silly thing from the perspective of uh, the enlightened one. That's why Ashtavakra makes fun. He says something as radical as, your only bondage is that you are trying to attain samadhi. What a terrible thing to say. It makes sense only after you have studied yoga and bhakti and advaita and, and made a deep, long effort to understand it and follow the structure. Then when the structure is smashed by Ashtavakra, you realize what lies behind it. Um, Alpana says, what we dream is from memory. How do we start seeing the world if we have not seen anything similar to this anywhere? Like we can't mistake rope for a snake, we don't know some other snake. Yeah, so this is a question which has been discussed. Uh, let me say two points here. One is an answer. I can give you an answer. Uh, notice, you don't have to see a real snake to dream of a snake. I'm sure there are many uh, kids in America who have seen horror movies about dinosaurs and they can dream about dinosaurs without have, ever having seen an actual dinosaur. So all our samskaras, they come from past lives. Where do those come from? From the lives before that. Immediately you'll ask, then what was the first life? <laughs> uh, avidya, beginningless. This is a discussion which goes on in Vedanta. But the point to be noted is, you don't require an actual experience of something outside to get an experience in consciousness. Consciousness itself, where the power of Maya can project all of this. But I'll give you a deeper point here. You see, the moment we separate awareness from what we are aware of, the tendency of the mind is to look at what we are aware of. This world, these people, um, this samsara, where is it coming from? No, don't do that. Turn your attention to the that amazing thing which we have discovered, that unchanging isness awareness. When you begin to appreciate that unchanging isness awareness, these questions about uh, where do I get this experience of the little uh, you know, things and people and events of the world? Why is this samsara coming? Is this externally there or only in my consciousness? If it came from past lives, what? how did the past life start? All of this is, are the contents of our vrittis, are the movements of the mind. It's like asking about the details about a dream. Can't the contents of a dream have come from another dream? Certainly. Often you see dreams being repeated. The mind does not really distinguish between reality and uh, you know, external reality and what it experiences. Because all experience must come in the mind first to be experienced. Whether it is coming from an external world conveyed by the senses or it is being generated by the mind in dreams, Ultimately, you have to see it in the mind to get an experience. So ultimately, all objects are mental objects. So 
focus on the witness of the mind not into the contents of the mind you will discover something amazing if you focus on the contents of the mind you will be led to one of the two prevailing views one is realism external world is there and that comes to the mind other one is idealism which is the mind generates its own contents in both cases not important they are all not ultimately real because they are all changing they are in the flux and they do not stay they have no existence of their own and they depend entirely on your existence for their existence and you the consciousness for their revelation so that in that sense unimportant but yes as a magic show it's important it's it's nice then bindu says how is there isness in the second level of negation ah second level of negation it is not a snake it is a rope never was a snake even when it appeared as a snake uh, and uh, uh, so where is the isness the isness the moment you know if the snake was there you felt it it is a snake to whom did the isness belong the isness belonged to the rope the rope which was hidden by the illusion of the snake that gave isness existence to the snake in the example of course ultimately rope is also part of our samsara so in every kind of negation the impermanence of the world or the mithyatva falsity of the world the isness belongs to you you are the uh, isness the ground of all illusions then gloria says is the essential practice then to be vigilant for the tendency to identify with forms the form i regard myself as yes the essential practice is to use every experience to point back towards the presence which you are the, the unlimited presence which you are first of all understand what is being said and then acknowledge it own it up to yourself that it's true this is true that at least it's possible it's true when you begin to see it is true and like that pandit i mentioned goda venkatesha shastri he said it is always been true it is always known it's uh, i mean it's not vedanta if it's something that's unknown it is well known actually it's the most well known of all things but it's hidden by like a screen is hidden by movies pictures and sounds uh, this isness this presence is hidden by forms names um, you know objects people activities they are all appearances like pictures prabir basu says i visited oh bindu says i think i get it the isness is oneself but the idea of samsara are falsified correct and the falsification is important otherwise what happens is we keep mixing up the isness with things of samsara don't worry none of the things of samsara will be lost when you center yourself in the isness you will gain an enormous freedom it's like a huge burden falls off your back you will not be deprived of anything everything will keep appearing all the people around you will keep appearing but you know that they are nothing other than that isness awareness which i am projected in so many names and forms in one sense it's a little sad because you are the only reality that there is <laughs> you are alone that's why in sankhya liberation is called kaivalya the the ultimate aloneness the grand solitude kaivalya kaivalya means one by yourself but in advaita from the advaitic perspective 
it's also oneness with everybody and everything. Everybody and everything is yourself. They're all united in you. In that sense, notice, there can be real, no real loss. My beloved grandmother passed away. Oh, how sad. In one sense, yes, as a personality. But that personality was an appearance. was continuously changing anyway. That little girl who my grandmother was long, long time ago, I have no acquaintance at all with that um, child. I only knew her as this uh, old lady. So the personality is a continuously changing thing. And once at one time, it will disappear. But the core, the reality which I thought was my grandmother is always with me. You're always indivisibly myself. That way, the universe is one with you. Raveer Babu says, I visited Shankaracharya of Kanchipuram, Kamakoti Pita, 1990. He was 96 years. He was a very great um, teacher, a very great master. He was regarded as a Jeevan Mukta. Very good. On that wonderful note, let us end. Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Tatsat Shri Ramakrishna Pranamastu